Nehemiah chapter 1. We're going to have a great time. We're going to have a great time today. Um, something that's uh, important um, to realize. Right now we're working through moving forward as a church. We're moving forward as a church. We've gone through some very, very, very big changes. All right? Very, very big changes. Uh, we're going through a time now where we're trying to really get our foot under us. We're trying to move forward. The blessing board back there is covered with new ministries that we're getting ready to start and get involved with, get our hands dirty in the community. We got a lot going on. But before, if you notice, how many of you noticed that we haven't really done anything yet? Anyone ever noticed that yet? We haven't done much yet. We haven't had soul winning. We haven't had the food drive. We haven't done the homeless ministry. We haven't done any of that stuff yet. You may say, well, Pastor, why haven't we done that? Well, I am so glad you asked. Let me answer that question for you. Um, we're at a place right now where we need to make sure that our hearts are properly saturated before we do the work. We need to make sure that our hearts are in the right place because if you get nothing else from this message, if you don't have a heart for the work, the work will feel like labor. That's right. You heard me, church? If you do not have the heart for the work, the work will feel like labor. Say it with me. If you do not have a heart for the work, the work will feel like labor. We don't want that to happen. We don't want it to happen. So here in Nehemiah chapter 1, we're going to talk about how we can get our place, get ourselves to a place where we have a more um, work-oriented mindset. A more work-oriented mindset. We're going to get, I'm getting ready to challenge you, church, to get off of your pews, church. I'm going to challenge you to wake up a little bit earlier on Saturdays, church. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to admonish you to get to a place where you step outside of your comfort zone to really see what God can do in your life through others. I heard this statement one time, and it's one of the best statements I've ever heard. Sometimes the best way to get a blessing is to be one. And Orlando Baptist Temple, whether we have five, whether we have 50, whether we have 500, we're getting ready to go out and get some work done. Amen. We're getting ready to get out and get some work done. And I'm really, really praying that you would get on board with the vision and see God work. But what I want to do is, in, in the next series, we work on being better together. To realize that if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, but a threefold cord cannot be quickly broken. The more strands we add to our church, church, the more strands we add to our church, the stronger our church will be. And that's what we're working toward. All right. So in Nehemiah chapter one, we're, I'm going to bring you a message called "Get a Grip." Get a grip. And we're going to talk about some things we need to get a good grasp on. And then I'll let you go today. Let's pray. Our gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you for this. For this day, we thank you for the song that we heard this morning, Lord. I hope that we are all ready to go. And that if there is someone in here that is not ready to go, that you would help them to come and seek us out. So we can show them how they can be 100% sure that if they die today, heaven would be their home. But Lord, as we move forward, we're trying to get the work started and continue in what you've given us. Your word says that the work that you began in us, we will continue in the end. And Lord, as we prepare and saturate our hearts to be able to be ready to, to get the work done, that you would meet with us here in this place. Empower us. Equip us to be the kind of men and women that we need to be for you, God. And we'll give you all the honor and glory for it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, are you ready to get a grip? Amen. Number one, if you're a note-taking person, you have to get a grasp on where we are. Look at verse 2 of Nehemiah chapter, of chapter 1. It says that Han and I, one of my brethren, came he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, 
They said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also was broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. So here in Nehemiah chapter 1, he's setting us up. What we know uh, preceding this is that the Israel, bless you, Israel had gone through a, a series in time where they witnessed the destruction of the temple. They witnessed they, the walls, excuse me, have come down. They had been attacked. It had been under siege. Some people had been taken away into captivity. Uh, Israel has gone through a lot. So right now, uh, uh, as, as Ezra comes back on the scene, so does Nehemiah. And he comes and he, he, he inquires about what's going on. And in verse 3, he says, and they said unto me, the people that he asked, the remnant that are left are of the captivity. They are in the province which are in great affliction and reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem are, in, are broken down. And the gates thereof are burned with fire. What they had to do before, they had to do a, like we're doing, is a consensus. And see, hey, what is going on? How was the city set up? Who was left? What do we have to work with? Church, for us to move forward, we have to get a good grasp on where we are. I told you before you voted me in that I am big on what? Who knows? Starts with a T. Transparency. Because if you have a false foundation, you cannot grow. We have to be church real with ourselves and say, okay, we got to look back and see, and look back at, at all the time that Orlando Baptist Temple has had and say, okay, where are we at? Where have we come? Where have we grown? Where have we fallen? We have to get, take a good look at ourselves. What did David say in the Psalms? He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We have, to take, we have to get to a place where we say, God, we need you to scrutinize us. Take a good look. Take a deep look at who we really are. What does that entail? Number one, we need for God to search our hearts. In the Fresh Fire series, we were talking about how important it was. How important it was for us to search ourselves and to see where we are so that we can have a genuine place in our lives to say, okay, I can move forward from this point to this one. But if you are, if you, if the, the Bible says that if you're a hearer of the word and not a doer of the word, you deceive your own self. Church, I don't want you to be deceived. I don't want us to be deceived. I want us to take a good, honest look at where we are and say, all right, this is where I am as an individual. These are the steps that I need to take to change it, to bring me up. Because I don't care if you've been saved five months, five years, 50 years, 500 years. There is always room to grow. The Bible says the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. That word quick means alive. Which means it can continually work within you. So if you are at a place where you've arrived, you're in error, church. Paul, arguably one of the greatest Christians of all time, says that, think not that I've arrived. The man who went from persecuting Christians to leading them to Jesus. The one who arguably wrote 14 books of, of, the, of the New Testament. The one who was arguably one of the greatest Christians of all time said, hey, I have not arrived. We have to get to a place where we honestly look and say, okay, here's my heart. Here's the situation that I am. Here is where I need to go. Here is where I need to grow. Here is where I am. Lord, change me. Because if you don't take a good, honest look at where you are as an individual, there's no way that our church will grow. Church, let me, tell you, let me let you in on a secret. I am more concerned that the, the small group that we have, that we have a strong core who, are, who is sold out for Christ and that have this whole building packed out. I understand that we have a 400-seat auditorium and not 400 people. I know. I'm not blind. And neither are you. But I would rather have 100 people 
who really care about God, who really want to see his power, who really want to see growth, than to have this whole building packed out full of lethargic people. Amen. What does the Bible say? I would rather you be hot nor cold, but since you are not hot nor cold and you're lukewarm, I will spew thee out of my mouth. God don't want no lukewarm Christians, church. And I'd rather have a few people that have sold out for God than to have this whole place packed out full of people who don't want to see nothing happen. No change. No growth internally. Church, that's not us. It can't be. Not while I'm leading it. It's not. Not while God is leading us. It's not. Because I want to see God work. And I, and I can see little flickers of light. I can see little flickers of light. And it's often. And it may be a little bit dark right now. And I can see little flickers of light though, Miss Josephine. And I can see that God is getting ready to light Orlando Baptist Temple on fire. Now, if you better get on board or you're going to get left. You feel me? Because God's getting ready to blow up with this place. But it starts with you. And we have to get to a place. Look, that, those papers on the back of that board are not decoration, church. It's a chance for you to get up and get busy for the Lord. For the Lord. I know, listen to me, I know that many of you in here work full-time jobs. Many of you have to get up before the crack of dawn. But if I can be transparent with you and say something that's stepping on your toes a little bit, and I hope you'll show me some grace. But everything is secondary to the gospel. Everything is secondary to the gospel. Which means that sometimes we're going to be tired, beloved, but we got to get up and go. Sometimes we're going to be overwhelmed, but we got to get up and go. Sometimes we're not going to have the energy. Look, we have nine papers on that backboard because there is somewhere that you can fit one time a month. Can we get to a place where we take an honest look at ourselves? Because in order for us to really see the work get done, we have to get a grip on where we are. We have to take an honest look at the conditions of our hearts, the condition of the relationship with God, the condition of our church. Here in this passage, we see that they have really gone through it. What did the, the messenger say? He said, and they said unto me, the remnant that are left, the people who are not brought into captivity, they are in the province, are in great affliction and reproach. Church, I know we took a couple big blows so far. We've taken a couple big blows. Hey, I remember when I first got to this church and the split that we had and how hard that was. Remember these first three or four rows used to be packed with people. You remember that? Yeah. And we know some things happen. Yeah. And, but look, listen, sometimes God has to prune. Sometimes God is going to be like Brother Paul Giesel that gets out there and trim those excess branches off. Because sometimes, like ladies with your hair, sometimes you have to cut those dead ends off so that they can grow properly. You feel me, church? And so I'm not bugging. I'm not worried about the people that God had to remove from this place in order for us to grow. What I am saying is that we have to realize that no matter if you're in a place where you have abounded or if you have suffered affliction or in distress, you have to take an honest look at where we are. Where do I see us? We're at a place where we're ready finally to really work, to really grow. The work had to be done. The work had to be done efficiently. We need to look at the condition of where we are and see it and see what we can do better. Because in order for us to grow efficiently, we have to take an honest look at where we are. Number two, church. Number two. We have to get a grasp. We have to get a grasp of our prayer lives. We have to get a grasp of our prayer lives. Look at verse 4. And it came to pass, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days 
and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven and said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth the covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. You have to get a grasp on your prayer life. Church, when's the last time you've been broken? Huh? When's the last time that you have been broken? When's the last time that you were broken for the condition of our church? Huh? When's the last time you looked around and said, Lord, we need help? Lord, we need growth. Lord, we need stability. Lord, we need, we need strength. Hey, when's the last time you were broken over this community? When's the last time you walked around Pine Hills and just saw all the trash that goes on outside and all the, all the ways that our, our city's littered and all the people who are displaced and all the fatherless homes and, and all the stuff that's going on out here? When's the last time you were broken for that community? Hey, when's the last time you were broken for this world? When you look around and you see mass murders and you see diseases and you see all kinds of tragedy happening, how can we have a blind eye to all of that being the children of God? It's wrong. We gotta get to a place where we are broken. There's a there's a a, a man, um, brother Jonathan, help me out. Uh, Pleasure, never mind. Brother brother Ken Pleasure, he's right now in a foreign country, and I saw on his Facebook this week where hundreds of people came forward and got saved in one meeting. Hundreds. You know why? Because there's a lost and dying world church that does not know God, and we have to be broken more than just for just an hour on a Sunday morning. We have to be broken for, for more than, a, than, a, than a, a seven o'clock time period on Wednesday night. We have to get to a place where we are in a consistent state of brokenness. What does the Bible say in the Old Testament? He says, don't rend your garment, rend your hearts. Anybody can, anybody can, anybody can show it out externally. Church, be like, you know what, a secret. I do not care about what your outward expression is like if in here ain't right. I don't care about how many names are on that board. I'd rather not have it than to do it in the wrong spirit. We have to get to a place where we, where we learn to get to a place of a spirit of brokenness. Of brokenness for our world, for our church. When's the last time you wept over lost souls? Hey, when's the last time you wept over your sin? Huh? Every time you mess up with another nail in Christ's arm. Another pound. Every time you do wrong, every time you, every time you slip out and miss the mark, a.k.a. sin, is another reason Christ had to die for you. Have we thought about that? Hey, if you're in this room and you can, and you can participate in sin and be okay with it, something ain't right, beloved. Something ain't right. We got to get to a place where we are broken. What does the prophet say in, in, in Nehemiah? He says, Lord, for, for, forgive us of the places where we've trespassed against you. Well, we've done wrong, but in order for us to really see growth in our lives, we have to take an honest look at ourselves and say, Lord, I am not enough. My strength is not sufficient. I'm weak. I'm not able. There's no way that I can press on and move forward or, or see growth in my life if I don't have you. And that's why I love David in the Psalms. He's so great at being human and seeing struggle and then turning right around and saying, Lord, forgive me because I've messed up. And we have to take an honest look of ourselves. When's the last time you wept for lost souls and the growth of the body? When's the last time you fasted and prayed before God? Huh? When's the last time you fasted? Now I know that some people have dietary restrictions so they can't fast with food. Well, there are a lot of ways you can fast. Fasting, by definition, is removing something 
from yourself that may be deemed necessary for necessity in order to get your prayers answered or seek God. AKK, what does that mean? You're trying to show God how important your need is to you. Amen. When's the last time you fasted? Huh? When's the last time you got down before God and said, God, I'm not going to eat today because I need to talk to you. Hello? Lord, I'm not going to drink today because I need to talk to you. I need you to see that I'm going to put myself in whatever distress I need to get a, get a hold of you. When's the last time? Hey, Tim, when's the last time you really needed to get a hold of God? Huh? When's the last time you need to get a hold of God? We got to get to a place like David where we say, God, you better not move from where you at. I can't handle it. I can't handle it. We have to get to a place where we understand that I'm going to do like he did, like Esther did. Remember, who read Esther, the book of Esther? When she was about to approach the king, which could cost her her life. And so what did she say? She went to her handmaids. She said, for three days, you will not eat, you will not drink, but you will cover yourself in sackcloth and ashes, and you will get on your face before the Lord because this need is important. You know what breaks my heart? It's how many needs I believe we will get to heaven and see that God said, hey, I want to give this to you, but you didn't show me that you wanted it enough. Hey, what does the Bible say? Men are always praying, not faint. What does 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 say? It says, pray without ceasing. What does Hebrews 4, 16 says? Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Why are we tapping into the almighty being of the universe at our disposal and not using it for what? Huh? When was the last time you fasted? Forget fasting. When's the last time you prayed? We can't even talk about amplified forms of prayer. You ain't even doing the regular stuff. The word, the word prayer, it means to petition. When's the last time you petitioned to God for your needs? For the needs of this church? For the needs of this community? For the needs of this world? When's the last time you begged? Church, I'm going to let y'all know something. I'm not too proud to beg. You ever see that word in the Bible, beseech? In the King James, it's beseech you. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. That word beseech means to beg, to supplicate. When's the last time you said, God, I need it? Remember Jacob? Jacob had a hold of that angel and said, I will not leave until you bless me. I know, I'm not leaving until you bless me. He wrestled with that angel all night. When's the last time you got down on your prayer, your prayer closet and wrestled with God for a little while? And said, I will not believe until you bless me. And that was the moment in Jacob's life when he went from supplanter to prince with God. Because when you get down and say, God, I want to see you work, and let me tell you why you're not praying. I'm going to hurt your feelings for a second, but show me grace. The reason why you're not praying is because you don't believe you can do it. That's why you're not doing it. Because if you believe he could, you would. It's the honest truth. We have to get to a place, church, where we have to get a grip on our prayer lives. Beg to be equipped to be the best that you can be. Beg to show you how you can grow and be utilized. Beg for him to fill this house and take us forward. What does the Bible say? Go out into the highways and byways and compel them to come into my house. Be where the Lord is. We have to get to a place where we learn to get a grasp on our prayer lines. Number one, you have to get a grasp on where you are. Number two, you have to get a grasp on your prayer life. Number three, you have to get a grasp on the way that you've treated God. 
Church, I'm going to hurt some feelings today, but I don't mean to. But we got to be able to go through some growing pains. You feel me? Right. You have to get a grasp on how you've treated God. Look at verse 6. Let thine ear now be attentive, and thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night, for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which I have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee, and have not kept thy commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments, which thou hast commanded thy servant, Moses. When's the last time you got a grip on the way that you've treated God? <clears throat> because I've got a wife right there, and I've got to make sure that I treat her properly. But you know what? My wife and the way that I treat her should not even hold a candle to the way that I treat God. Hey, why is it that we have a tendency to treat the people who are like strangers to us the best and give up our best and our smiles and our love and our affection and the ones who are closest to us get nothing? Why do we do that to God? Hey, you know what he did? God had to come down in the flesh and bankrupt heaven for you so that you don't have to go to an eternal hell to be the bridge for you and me. He says, hey, if I get that, the least you can do for me is to live for me. Is to live for me. Spend a little time with me every day. Hey, spend a little time spreading the gospel. Spend a little time making disciples. Isn't that what we're doing on Fridays, Mike? Making disciples? Trying to see, trying to see God work in people and trying to see God work in us and work through us. But above all that, above the work, child, I'm not worried about the blessing board. If, I'm, if your heart's not in the right place, how you been treating God, church? If I didn't talk to my wife yesterday, we would not be on good terms right now. Did you talk to God yesterday? Let me admonish you to not be a CEO Christian. What does that mean? Christmas, Easter only. That's how some of us live our lives. We pop into church once a month. And look, I'm, I, know, I know the assembling of ourselves together can be in multiple places, like we meet on, on Fridays at Starbucks. But what I'm trying to tell you is you know that if you don't go to church, you ain't having it. So don't play yourself. We got to get to a place where we take an honest look at the way that we have treated the Alpha and Omega. That we've treated Abba, that we've treated Jehovah Jireh and Jehovah Rapha, that we've treated El Shaddai. We have to make sure that we look at the, what did Isaiah say? I'm going to keep reminding you, church. I looked up and I saw the Lord in his temple and his train filled the temple. And I said, woe is me. I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips. Listen to me. We have to get to a place, church, where we take an honest look at the way that we have treated God. How has Orlando Baptist Temple treated God? Hmm? I don't want you to answer out loud. I want you to think about this. What you coming to church for? What are you reading your Bible for? What are you praying? What are you signed up on that list for? For accolades? I would say you have your reward. You might as well scratch your name off. Being real. We got to be transparent. We got to make sure that we come before God properly and meet him where we're supposed to meet him properly. Because truth of the matter is, a lot of us, I'm not talking about this, our church talking about the body of Christ as a whole. We don't do a good job of treating God the way that God should be treated. Because the Bible says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, that by the mercies of God, that ye walk not after this world. But what else does he say? 
He says, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims of this world. What does he call us? A royal priesthood. So if God treats you like royalty, why are you treating God like trash? Amen. Huh? If God treats you like royalty, why don't we treat God like trash? Notice I said we, because Pastor Xavier is in the same group that you're in. You've got to make sure that I come to God correct and repent when I've messed up and when I've trespassed against God. I am so glad that his grace is sufficient and that his mercies are renewed every morning. Number four, we're almost done. Look at verse 8 and 9. It says, remember, I beseech thee, there's that word again, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, if ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if you turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though they were you cast out unto the uttermost parts of the heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Number four, if you're taking notes, you have to get a grasp on the promises of God. Get a grasp on the promises of God. God gives us two promises in this, in this chapter. In verses 8 and 9. Number 1. He said, I promise you that if you do not walk in faithfulness, I will scatter you. I will scatter you. You ever heard this statement? It's not a threat, it's a promise. He says, you follow after me in faithfulness. If you don't follow me after me in faithfulness, I'm going to scatter you. Hey, church, you don't think he will? Can I take you back to Genesis chapter 10? When God said, go be fruitful and multiply. And what they do, church, stood in one spot and tried to build a temple to go up to where God was at. And what God had to do, he came down to meet the people and he had to confound their speech and force them to scatter. The word tau, the word babble means confounded. Babies babble, da 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 da. It's confounded, it means confusion. And what is God not the author of church? That's not coincidence. That's not coincidence. God said, listen to me, I would rather you have been of one people and one nation and of one tongue, but since you can't be together and do what's right, I'm going to have to scatter you. Let me let you know, church, wherever you are in life, if you do not practice your faithfulness, God's going to scatter you. God's going to scatter you. Oh, you want to know some other examples? What about the children of Israel? And God used them and brought them through the wilderness after 40 years. By the way, church, the journey from, to the promised land should have only been 11 days. 40 years, church. 40 years. And look at us. We over here like, Lord Jesus. <laughs> but how different are we? When we put off our own blessings, we put off all the things that God has for us. I know God is sitting there like, all right, whenever you're ready. They got there and God brought them into the promised land, Miss Mary. And he says, look, I bring you a land of milk and honey. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you these lands. But when we find out by the time we get to Judges chapter 11, that Israel had a cycle that they liked to get into. They would serve God, then they would serve idols, God would remove his hand, they would be taken over by someone, God would send a judge, and would deliver them from that, they would be free, and then run it again. Until God finally said in Judges chapter 11, fine, go serve Baal, go serve Ashtaroth, go serve Ra, let them help you. And guess what? They're not going to. They're not going to. Hey, what about Adam and Eve in the garden? Put in a position where they were, they were in a state of perfection. With a perfect environment. To be able to walk with God in the cool of the day. And God says, since you cannot be faithful to me, I'm going to have to displace you. Church, if you read your Bible, you will find that God is in the displacing business. Because God means what he says. 
He says, I would rather you be faithful. Because if you're faithful, then I can do to you what I do for faithful people, which is reward the righteous. But if not, I'm going to have to remove you. By the way, church, Jesus came and the Jews had one job. One job. You ever used that expression? You had one job. Israel had one job, was to usher in the Messiah. And when the Messiah came, what did we find out in John chapter 1? What did it say, church? He said he came unto his own and his own what, church? Knew him not. And they had God in the flesh walking among them. And what they do? They crucified him. Now we know, because hindsight is twenty twenty, that he had to do that so that we can all be free. But they had one job, to usher in the Messiah. And they crucified him. Hey, did you listen to Miss Josephine's song, church? He's coming back soon. Are you ready to go? Hey, that's what priesthood of the believer is all about. Is you, as a church, picking up where, where Israel left off and using the gifts that God gave you to prepare the way of the Lord. What did John say? I'm the voice in the wilderness crying. The king, repent for the kingdom is at hand. We have to make sure that we get to a place where we understand we do not practice being faithful. God might know. God maybe know. God will scatter you from where you could be. From where you're supposed to be. Listen to me, God says, I want to give you grade A steak. Why are you settling for that, that grade D stuff? Because we're good at settling. That's what it is. We're good at being complacent. We're good at being apathetic. We're good at being indifferent. We're good at when times get tough, we step back. And when times get hard, we remove ourselves from God. And we put our Bible aside and we stop praying because somehow or another, we've convinced ourselves that that's better. And we got to get to a place where we realize that if I can just stay faithful, what does the Bible say? You shall reap in due time if you faint. Finish it, somebody. Nah. You will reap. He says, I will. You reap what you sow. But if you reap faithfulness, I will give you faithfulness. What does 1 John 1 9 say? If we confess our sins, he is what, church? Faithful and just. So for God says, I'll hold up my bargain. Will you hold up your end? Draw out of God and you will draw out of you. He said, I'll come. But you gotta, you gotta step out. You gotta step out. I remember, we're, I remember we were teaching my niece how to walk. And my niece loves toys like all kids do. And so you get the toy and let the kid play with it for a second and you take it from her. And you take a step back, stand her up and have her take a couple steps. And then when she steps forward, we take a couple steps back. Let her walk a couple more steps and eventually she falls down when she gets up and she tries again. It's not wrong for you to fall. It's wrong for you to stay there. A just man falls seven times and gets back up again. We got to get to a place where we will practice our faithfulness because if not, God will scatter. But what's his second promise? What's his second promise? His second promise says this in Nehemiah chapter 9. He says, but if you turn unto me, and keep my commandments and do them. Though, th though there were of you cast out unto the uttermost. He said, listen to me. One thing that's beautiful is that even if you were cast out and scattered, there's always room for you to come back. Yes. There's always room. He said, keep my commandments. What are his commandments? Walking in the light yes. as he is in the light. Hey, what are his commandments? Staying in the word. You know what the best, you know when, when Satan came before Christ after he fasted in the wilderness 40 days and 40 nights? 
Jesus Christ did not physically fight the devil when he fought him. Using what, church? The word. Y'all walking around out here all the time with no sword. How are you supposed to win the war? How are you supposed to stand a fighting chance? Huh? You gotta stay in that word. Listen to me. I just quoted a whole bunch of scriptures at y'all from memory, and that was not so I can look cool. That's because I needed those. I needed to commit those to memory because there are gonna be times when y'all not around and I'm at home by myself that that devil is on my back. And I'm gonna have to use that word to fight them all, because there's no way. There's no way. I wish I could say it was for you to know that to impress you, but it's not. Because Xavier is weak. But I also know that it's when I am weak that he is strong. I've understood that if I decrease, he will increase. And so if I use that word and equip it to myself and to my tool belt, listen to me, I'm stronger than any superhero. Superman got nothing on me. Batman, none of the Marvel movies, none of them. No tank, no atom bomb, no weapon, no weapon. Listen to me, nothing. If I got the word, if I got the Lord on my side, what does the Bible say? Be still and know that I am God. What does Exodus 14, 14 says? The Lord will fight for you and ye shall keep your peace. You know why you're not finding victory, church? Because you don't know the promises. That devil can't tell me jack. Because I know my word. No, the Bible says if I flee from you, that you're, if I resist you, that you'll flee. So, Bob, you can't be victorious if you don't know the promises. Sharing the gospel, going to the highway and byways, making disciples, conversing with God, loving your neighbor. Hey, let me let you know on a secret, church. You know that loving your neighbor is more important than spreading the gospel? Pastor, what did you just say? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. The second is likewise, that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Upon these two laws hang all the laws of the prophets. The gospel, the great commission is important. But if you do all, what is Paul saying in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13? That if you do all these things without love, it's vain. He says you're like a tinkling brass, a.k.a. you just making a bunch of noise and ain't doing nothing with it. You gotta learn to love your neighbor. Don't be up in church saying amen, knowing that you're at home treating your wife like garbage, church. Hey, don't be in here testifying about God's grace and getting into this altar and praying, knowing that you're treating your kids like garbage. Don't you be out there hating on your neighbor and, and hating your brother in Christ and hating your sister in Christ and then coming into God's house acting holy. He says your religion is vain if you're a respecter of persons. You think I ain't know. But do you? Some of y'all got to come to this altar today and get some things right with God. Because if you are, the Bible says, if you, if you said, the Bible says this in James, I love James, five chapters of, of amazing content. He says, if thou say that you love your brother, Brother Ray, sorry, he says, if you say that you love God and hate your brother, your religion is vain. But he says, who's my neighbor? Look around you. Look outside. Look at the cars you drive by. I love your neighbor. So you have two options, keep his commandments or not, and be scattered. The choice is yours. Number five and last thing, and we'll be done. Look at verse 10. Now these are thy servants and thy people, whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, there's that word again, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper. I pray thee. 
Thy servant this day and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. That verse 11 is a gorgeous prayer. Number five, you have to get a grasp on what it is that we need. What it is that we need. I'm going to give you four things that you need real quick. We're just going to go through them, no explanation. I'm going to give them to you, and we're going to be done for, for, the, for now. You've got to get a grasp on what it is that you need. What do you need? Number one, you need for God's ear to be attentive to your prayers. You need for God's ears to be attentive to your prayers. The Bible says in Psalms chapter 66, verse 18, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. What does that mean? Sin is a severing mechanism, church. You gotta get that fellowship with God right. And listen to me. If you've experienced the power of God, if you have tasted and seen that God is good, then you will know that how important it is for God to be attentive to your prayers. What did Nehemiah say? He said, Lord, be, be attentive to the prayer of your servant. And to the prayer of your servants. Number two, what do you need? We need for us to have a reverent fear of God. Fear has two connotations. <laughs> one of respect and one of actual fear and trembling. It's like having a father, a father in your life. And you fear the father, number one, out of respect. It's my dad, I want to treat him right. I want to honor and glorify him. But you also fear him because you know if you act up in school, he's going to smoke that hand. Right? The Bible says, who the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. it. And if he, listen to me, this is what the Bible says. He says that if he chasteneth it, it's not that you are bastards and not sons. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. it. We need to make sure that we understand the way that God works. We've got to make sure that we understand these things that we need. And what is it that we need for us to have a reverent fear of God? And knowing that if we do not fear God, we are not going to see God work in this place. He's not. He's not. Number three, very important one. We need to pray for us to prosper. We need to pray for us to prosper. What does the Bible say in Joshua? It says, This book of the law shall not depart out of my mouth, for thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. None of those things about prospering came from our own merit. It came from living a life that is holy and righteous and set apart. And you want to see God prosper? You want to see God prosper not only in our, in our own personal lives? I, I said this, I want my life to be like Joseph. Remember when Joseph was in Potiphar's house? Everything that Joseph touched prospered. What about Jacob? Laman did him wrong. He was trying to work for Re uh, Re Rebecca's hand. But what, we, what did we find out happening? Why did Laman want to keep him on? Because everything that Joseph touched prospered. I want my life to be one that is so filled up with God that people are blessed by the overflow. Amen. And church, I'm being blessed so that there's overflow. And you're being blessed so that there's overflow. And you're being blessed so that there's overflow. This church will be full of a lot of great things. Amen. And if we really want to see God use us, if we really want to see us prosper, we got to pray for it. And lastly, we're done. We need to pray for his mercy on us through this process in our lives. He says, Who desire to fear thy name and prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. Have you prayed for God's mercy? 
Do you know the difference between mercy and grace? Grace is getting what you don't deserve, and mercy is not getting what you do deserve. And I don't know about you guys, but Xavier Small is a sinner saved by grace. And I'm so glad the Bible says his mercies are renewed every morning because, child, I need it. Amen. I need it. And Orlando Baptist Temple will need his mercies because there's going to be times when we fall short. There's going to be times when we mess up and we slip. And there's going to be times where, we, where, we, where we're going to be in error because it's what people do. We're human. But it's going to be God's mercies that carry us the rest of the way. I know I'm number eight church, but I plan to stay number eight for a very long time. And I really, really hope that you will stay with me and see God work and grow. Because now you're here at the beginning it with me. But I plan to look back in time and think about the days where we were the small congregation that did big things. Because I'd rather us stay with 40 people in here and 20 in the kids class and 40 in the Haitian ministry and stay that way and see God work and to have the whole building packed out where we gotta have two services because there's no room and people who ain't doing nothing with it. We're gonna need to get into a work-oriented mindset. <laughs> 